ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to tonight's episode of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm joined by our usual co-hosts, Uncle Mark and Jason. Say hi. 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 And my bourbon. And your bourbon. He's an important guest. I was totally going to make old fashions for tonight's show and didn't bother to stop and get the uh, ingredients. Otherwise, I would have that instead of just whatever random beer was in my fridge, which happens to be a Sam Adams. I'm super lazy. I'm drinking Buffalo Trace neat. Which is code for just Buffalo Trace, you know? Yeah, it's just I have Buffalo Trace and glass. Neat. Which is a fancy perfect. word. Fancy word for tracing glass. <laughs> but bu- bu- yeah. Buffalo Trace, the uh, the official uh, bourbon of Iron Sissman. Yeah, right. I guess I'll have to get Buffalo I, Trace when I start is, making right? uh, old fashions. That that's a you said that's bourbon, right? Yeah, I can make an old fashioned yeah, bourbon. It's bourbon. Yeah, yeah, hey, if it gets if it gets sponsorship money, so. Yeah. Right. The, the, the struggle is that Buffalo Trace, at least in Pennsylvania, is the PS five of bourbon. It can be difficult to acquire. Not if they sponsor the show. We'll just have yeah, them pay true. us in Buffalo Trace. And 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 are the dogs <laughs> on on mic at this point? Yes, they are. Your dogs are part of the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We can we can live with that. My daughter. <laughs> Dear daughter, please silence dogs. Find mute button. <laughs> All right, folks, while Mark deals with his uh, errant uh, canines, uh, we'll get the show rolling. What do you think? So uh, last episode, which was three weeks ago, because last week I was in Raleigh and couldn't really, you know, produce a show. I guess I could have, could have like taken the mixer with me and I don't know, my whole computer and setup, but I think that would have been a pain in the butt. Um, so anyway, we skipped to this week. Anyway, last show, we talked about a whole bunch of cloud terminology, right? We went through, I mean, we used all the cloudy words, not the buzzwords, but the terminology to tell, you know, folks who want to operate a cloud or be uh, good citizens of a cloud or whatever, um, you know, like what they're in for, what, what, what different terms mean. And we talked through what things are used for and whatnot. And we didn't really go too deep on any of it. So... My thought is we're going to pick some of those topics and go a little bit deeper as we go on and make sort of a series out of this. So tonight, uh, I forget if we talked about this as a term or not, but it is definitely one of the one of the conversations you're going to have, like the very next conversation you're going to have after your boss comes to you and says, we should look at the cloud. It's going to be, how do we get our workloads to the cloud? And one of those terms is going to be lift and shift. Tonight, we're going to talk about what that is why it matters, why it may good maybe a good choice or a bad choice depending on your your use case, right? I I think we inferred the consequences of it or at least I did cuz I'm snarky. Yeah. But I don't think we used the term or went into any actual explanation of what it is. Right. So, let's do that first. What is a lift and shift? Um do either of you want to take a shot at that or do you want me to do it? You're always so I, talkative. I, okay. I have firsthand experience from when we did it at Merck, but I don't know if Jason wants to because I sometimes I, talk too much. I have firsthand <laughs> experience of, of old school lift and shift and the new cloud-based lift and shift. So I've done both. 
Yeah, this is something that I mean, people may I, have done. Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> we should give we should, us the so, answer now. We should we should preface this with this. You may have already been through something very similar to what we're ta- about to talk about when you went from physical to virtual, right? Is that what you meant when you said old school? Jason? No, actually, I I mean I'm talking moving full on moving data centers, uh, lifting the equipment and shifting it to the new data center. Oh, okay. So physical yes. physical to physical, but I've also done physical to virtual, and I've done physical to cloud and virtual to cloud and cloud you, to cloud. So, I mean, you it's, and it's I, a reused yeah. term. You and I work together on physically moving it uh, 30 feet across the data center. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was, I, within a data center, yeah. w- between data centers, um, I've done city to city. Like Talk yeah. about forklift it, upgrade. <laughs> yeah. So, all, some are so fast, some are slow. All of, us have done, all of us have done this type of work. Oh, yeah. 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 White House Station, New Jersey to Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. I've done similar with, with Merck's Linux footprint. So, okay. Cool. So anyway, what are we so, talking so, about, Jason? You want to take a crack at it? <laughs> yeah. It's simply put, it's, it's moving your servers, systems, applications, you know, whatever, whatever encompassing term you want to use from one location to another or from one, uh, one medium to another. So in the case of like physical to virtual, you're moving from, you know, uh, 10 servers in a rack that are running 50 apps to a single uh, clustered VM system that runs, you know, all of those same ser- uh, apps and servers, uh, but virtualized. Right. So you're or not, you can, I think yeah. the, the, the key there is right. So you start with 10 physical servers that run 50 apps. You end up with 10 VMs that run the same 50 apps. Right. Right. You didn't change right. anything other than the underlying, you know, layer one right. or whatever you want to call that. Right. So, so a lift and a lift and shift generally, um, is, is kind of one for one. So if you're, if you're moving physical to virtual, you're moving that server to a virtual server running the same software. You're moving from that other server to a virtual server running the same software. You're not really changing the architecture of it's not really, I'm not sure how to exactly put it. You're not taking, you're not changing the architecture of the application um, the, the, the yeah. infrastructure itself is changing, but you're not, you're not changing what the app does. Um, you wouldn't lift and shift and say, move from a single server to a microservices based Kubernetes cluster with, you know, scalability. Like that's, that's not a lift and shift. That's not a, that's a complete shift. redesign. That's a redesign re-architecture. Yeah. Yep, which right. isn't, which isn't necessarily what we're talking about tonight, but, uh, we'll probably touch on that a bit as we talk about the pros and cons of the lift and shift. You have more to yes. add there, Mark? You look like you're itching to talk. So, well, this sort of leaks into the next couple of topics, but on paper, and this is why I chuckle a little bit, the lift and shift to a lot of people will often look like the easiest and cheapest way to go. Right. That can be really friggin' deceptive. It can be. It's... it, it can't. It, yeah, it, we'll, it is often, in fact, not. And we'll go into why a little yeah, we'll, later. We'll dive but into that. A bit. Lifting, lift and shift is going to for someone who thinks in classic data center, classic uh, single pizza box systems or even uh, regular old virtual machines running in VMware. The lift and shift is the requires the least amount of skilling up in new technologies. Right. So this- you're still going to have to learn somehow the cloud that you're lifting and shifting works, but it's the minimum amount 
this is a great transition into point number two, which is why would I lift and shift an application or a system, I should say, from whatever my current architectures are into a cloud provider, right? And to me, you, you've already sort of answered that, right? It's because you need to, to get your application out of your data center into the cloud for whatever reason, whatever your drivers are, right? Uh, as quickly and easily as possible, cost be damned, right? You need the thing to work there. And a lot of people use this as sort of a gateway into the cloud, right? Get your stuff there and then figure out what to do with it once it's there. Now, there's a lot of pros and cons there, right? And Mark, you were already touching on them. That's not necessarily the least expensive way to go about it unless you start thinking about, so there's two ways to get your application to the cloud, in my mind, two at least at a very broad stroke, right? One way is to completely re-architect the entire thing so that it is completely cloud native, right? Remember that buzzword? Um, it's designed to work whatever, with whatever cloud provider you're moving into. It utilizes all of the little API-driven pieces and it's, you know, all compartmentalized stuff and it uses all of the, you know, the, the features of your cloud provider, whoever they are. And I'm trying to not, I'm trying to be kind of like cloud agnostic here. But imagine if you were on AWS, right? You'd be using their database service. You'd be using their load balancer service. You'd be using their compute services. You'd be using, you know, all the pieces that they use to make this all cheaper and more decentralized, right? Which you might argue is the quote-unquote right way to get into a cloud provider. However, it means that your administrators, your app developers, everyone that's responsible for your application has to figure out how the hell all that stuff works. So now it becomes this big project and it's going to take you months to figure out and that has cost, right? That's not free. Yes, it's just the hours that your people are spending, but it's hours that they could have been spending doing something else, right? So that mm -hmm. in itself has cost. Uh, simply picking up the application and plugging it into an EC2 instance has cost like real monetary hourly, monthly, minutely costs, right? Um, but it doesn't have six months of planning and three months of deployment, <laughs> right? Well, actually <laughs> it can. Sure, it, it, um, it could, um, but I think that scales, like you're, you're probably thinking if you're moving a whole data center, yes, it might take you months. I'm talking like I have one app, I've got like a website or something that's compartmentalized on one VM, perfect candidate for a lift and shift. Right. Um, Rearchitecting that whole thing might take weeks or months, whereas just picking it up and moving it into a VM on EC2 could take an, like an overnight. <laughs> How? What tooling are you using to do it? Well, well I guess it, that, that it, depends on, like, there's lots so, of ways to get it done. Amazon actually wants it, you to do this. They, they have tooling that will take images, take VMs, and sort of convert them into a cloud image. You can just deploy. So, so... Maybe they do in 2022. I can tell you in 2011 and 2012, when we were doing this at Merck, they did not. And we spent a significant amount of engineering time creating a boot DVD ISO that you could either boot a physical box or boot a VM with. And by making the proper API calls to Amazon, it would create the, v the, the VM shell, the EC2 instance, and then it would create uh, uh, a, a volume for each, it would create a EBS volume for every disk that was on the machine and then copy that data over. And then 99% of the time, the, uh, the EC2 instance actually freaking worked, <laughs> right? 
But they so, came up in short. So again, that took that took engineering effort. It took us several months to create that utility that would then allow us to migrate either physical or virtual hosts into EC2 instances. Now, maybe Amazon provides that tool today. I don't know, but they sure didn't but back in 2012, 2013. Imagine, imagine if instead of putting the time into figuring out how to simply replicate your data center in the cloud, you had to put all that time into learning new technologies how they interact, how to optimize them, and then how to put your application on those. Don't you think that would have taken longer? It probably would have taken longer, but here he and here's my opinion on what you end up with under both situations. When you do a lift and shift, you end up with something on a crappier platform doing the same job. You end up on Amazon white box hardware, mm -hmm. and I can show you how the VMs work under load, where you're actually fighting against other applications on this crappy white box hardware. And in top, the, the percent steel yeah. is sometimes so as high as 60%. Th now, this and what that means... Okay. You're, you're bringing up a point that is an excellent point, okay? Um, but... That is not specific, right, to the topic at hand tonight. That's 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 um, that's certainly. A, in fact, we could even devote a show to like the caveats yeah, of cloud, it, right? You're diving <laughs> too deep. Yeah, yeah. But so, so what I'm telling you, it's a negative to lift and shift because what but, you're doing is you're is you're is you're paying for a hundred percent of the time, and you're only getting a certain amount of pro of compute resource that you're actually paying for and your application, the, the servers that are now in the cloud as, as lifted and shifted are inherently less stable because Amazon doesn't give a crap yeah. about outage windows and patching. If their white boxes fall over, they don't care that the, the president of Merck is now pissed. Like we, like if we did work in one of our data centers, we had to go through change control and stuff. So somebody, somebody has some serious scar tissue with this. He seems to. I yes. do. But is, however, this, you're this not is, wrong, right? You're not you're, no, wrong. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> this is this is this is definitely an old man yells at cloud situation. Um, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I'm just saying that it, it's it's a it, break. In the, so, in the end, you end up on a crappier hardware base, and you end up paying. For a system that these systems, the, these lifted and shifted systems were never architected to be turned off and on. Yeah. So it's going to run 24-7. Yep. yep. And this exactly is one of the negatives that I wanted to talk about, right? Amazon has this. Well, not just Amazon. People talk now. Cloud providers have designed their architectures, their systems, their, their compute resources around applications that are fault tolerant. Traditional virtualization is designed around high availability and around 100% uptime or 99.999% uptime because you never get 100%. Um, the, so that's one of the things you need to grapple with, right? If you move an application to the cloud, you better, if it doesn't already have resiliency and fault tolerance built into it, you better add it or you better find a way to make it highly available or something or re-architect it so that it can be sort of torn down and stood back up again at a moment's notice, right? The, the, you you have to. I mean, 
to take a step back a little bit, lifting and shifting. So back, ba- yes, back in the 2010s or, or earlier, lifting and shifting was done primarily because a CEO said, ooh, cloud, I'm told this is cheaper. We have to go there tomorrow, make it happen. And that's why it was lifted. There was no engineering behind it. It was, that's shiny. We have to be there. Get us there now. Right. And and what a lot of people found at that point was that, you know, simply lifting and shifting to the cloud didn't necessarily offer them much. And it cost a hell of a lot more in some cases, in many cases, than running on your own hardware that they already had. Now, there's there's different drawbacks to being in a uh, a a physical data center versus being in a cloud environment, et cetera. I mean, you know, cloud environments, you don't have to worry about the hardware that's taken care of for you. Whereas on, you know, on-prem that's your hardware. If it breaks, you have to fix it. When it's old, you have to replace it. You know, that that's, sure. that's all on you. But the, sure. the, you know, as we've moved forward, lifting and shifting, I think, you know, for, for people that at least are paying attention, I think it's a different motive now. Um, a lot of a lot of what is done. So the the more the most recent lift and shift that I did was a couple of years ago, but it was primarily we need to get out of this data center because the business that we were in has changed, and we need to be in a in a different situation. You know, we need to be in AWS for what we're doing moving forward because the data center is actually costing us too much, and trying to re-architect everything to get to AWS would take too long and we'd spend too much money on paying for what we were paying for at the D, at, in the DC. So, so in, we picked I, it up I, and moved it over overnight. I have a quick... So did AWS have tooling for you at that point? No, I just... It was it was a small enough footprint that I basically rebuilt everything by hand. When, um, I, when I, I had tried the, and the tooling didn't work very well, but... When I was at the college, I, I was almost certain that we had one of these AWS implementers that were coming in to talk to us. And I'm almost certain they said there was tooling that said that they could take an existing running VM and sort of convert it and import it into into EC2. There is, there is tooling that you can do that. I don't know how much it's uh, like, how how much better it's gotten at the time. Yeah. I don't know if they, I don't know if they tried it it at all because I was gone by the time they were actually moving stuff. At at, at the time that I I tried their tooling, (laughs) it was, it was, here, here's this tool. This will totally take care of everything that you want it to do. Except, except this, except, this, this except, list, except, this, except, this except, endless except. list over here of things that it won't, <laughs> for, won't fix. So yeah. after you've created the image, you're going to have to go in and fix these things. Um, yeah. Sometimes it yeah. worked. Sometimes it didn't. It, it, it really depended on it, had, it. A lot of it depended on what you were doing. Right. Let me put it this way. It, the, the, the CD that we developed at Merck, like the actual creating of the shell and the copying the data was generic AF. It would work on anything. Mm-hmm. What was huge was something that Jason just inferred, the post-install script yeah. that had to clean everything up and markify yes. things properly. Yeah. That's yeah. where that's where the, the some engineering is acquired. And if Amazon is providing a base tooling experience that's better, then yes, Nate, to your point. The engineering work has probably gotten easier. The other option is to stand up fresh classic VMs and the app team reinstalls on them. But yeah. the app team never wants to friggin' reinstall. Right. So that, that was that my was, other. We always ran yeah. into that. Yeah. That was I, my I was other. The, was, my other suggestion I was, was going to be redeploying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, however, I, I, right. I was, so 
redeploying on known, and I know this is this is a really perilous statement. <laughs> redeploying, anyway. redeploying, no. redeploying Let based me... on all of the copious notes the app team took when they deployed it the first time, right? Oh, is probably <laughs> <Yeah>. easier. <laughs> Probably easier than re-architecting the whole thing to work using cloud services, right? <laughs> Copious yep. notes that the app team generated when <laughs> that, installing. How much the, beer have you the, had tonight? That's the perilous part. <laughs> did you did you pregame this podcast? <laughs> yeah, with, with most of a bottle of Pepsi. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I think there was more than just Pepsi in that. Yeah, you better, it's, better it's, uh, rum and Pepsi. No. <laughs> Yeah, so um, you're, you're you're like that. That's that's the that's the crux of that argument, right? If you have good notes, if you know how to deploy the application easily, then redeploying on a cloud provider could theoretically be easier than converting a VM to move into the into a cloud provider, and could or should be easier than rearchitecting the entire app to use cloud native services, right? Um, however, and 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 by the way. Uh, cloud service, cloud servers, even though it's a VM with disk and networking, does not mean that it will work the same way that it did when it was in your data center. Case in point. Oh, absolutely it, it, not. Yeah. Ca case in point, AW, it, it's a little bit different now because it sort of supports this now. But at the time that I was doing a lift and shift, AWS did not support multicast, period. Oh, right. Nor, yeah. And when Merck was doing it, AWS didn't support LVM. Oh, yeah. Oh. Can you now? It shouldn't have mattered because it was our own custom build anyway, and we didn't give a shit. But technically, yeah, it technically didn't. They technically didn't support LVM. Yeah. Yeah. Amaz I mean, it was, Amazon Linux it's block. might not still, but. And uh, no, like, I, what's well, the. I'm trying to think it's, what's the just, what's the real what's the real advantage to LVM. I guess if you want to add disks and expand, but that's parallel all by itself, right? <laughs> that's what we were used to. Yeah, we were running right. We were running RHEL five, right? And LVM and RHEL five was banging. <clears throat> and if we're talking about right. if we're talking about truly lifting and shifting and using all the same tooling on one yeah. side as you are on the other, then you want it to be the same. I can understand that. Right. You have to you have to yeah. supply you know uh, uh, block block storage of the same size and the same number of storage devices that you had to begin with, or you have to right. rebuild the server. Yeah. So I have, yeah. I have one more thing that could be a, why would I lift and shift versus why would I re-architect? And that mm -hmm. is, um, once you've taken your application and re-architected it to work on cloud provider X, aren't you kind of stuck there? Like, well, doesn't, a, doesn't that, moving to yeah. another cloud provider or moving back to a data center or even just changing architectures or whatever, doesn't that re require an entirely new project to re-architect your, your application then? Well, that, yeah, that's where you got vendor lock and stuff. Right. Depending upon on what level the architecture is done. That's where, right. Right. like, if, you, if, if you're generic Kubernetes, because I'm not going to pimp Red Hat stuff, in theory, that can isolate you from that a little bit. Like if you've got a containerized right. application. Yeah, that's a good middle a, of the Kuber, road. In a Kubernetes world, then 
that should be transferable to any cloud provider. Yeah, that's a good middle of the road, I think. That, and our Red Hat you know, you fans your- can sub in what I'm really saying. <laughs> Open but, hybrid but, cloud. I mean, to, to honestly, be- like containerized in general is probably a better stance, I would think, than buying into all of the, you know, Cloud Vendor X's special sauce. Yeah. Even I though the special sauce that- might be cheaper, don't you think? I, I don't know that I agree on it. Depends on what you're doing, right? So, I mean, for the most part, you, when you jump into AWS, Azure, Google, whatever, you, you're kind of like if you design an application to run in that environment, you're really not moving it out without serious changes. So, um, and, and using services like uh, like their their uh, RDP or or uh, um, their message queuing stuff, like it's it's decent. It it works well. So you know, vendor lock in. Yes, it's it's a thing. But you know, once you're in there, trying to run things in a traditional manner inside of a cloud provider is is kind of foolhardy. You're you're wasting money. A lot of money. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. If you're not taking so- advantage of the services they're offering. You're doing it wrong. Don't just might as well build a, a data center. I mean, I'd, I'd argue it's still cheaper than building a data center. No. Um. Like, I, yeah, but I mean, you're you're not. It, it depends. Even, it depends on how you do a, it. I mean, if you're even running a colo, it'd be cheaper than running a colo. <clears throat> sure, but colo. I, I mean, data centers are more big boys game. But you know, if you're if you're in a colo, it's it's it may cost you more to be in AWS to do certain things, right? Like if you're going to, if you're going to run in AWS, you really should be doing things more the AWS way. I mean, look at, look at just a, a straight up VM, like a, a, a moderate sized VM in a, like a single moderate sized VM with, you know, four CPUs is, I mean, you're looking at between 150 and $300 a month, depending on how much memory you need. And that's before you get to putting like big disk on it. That's just for the VM and, you know, companies that are running hundreds or or thousands of these, that's, that's a, that's a good chunk of change. But if you redesign your application that was running on that VM to be more microservice oriented and you use things like lambdas and you use things like API gateway, you take advantage of RDP and, and, you know, the other stuff that's there, that same application that was costing you $200 a month to run, you know, on that one server may cost you 20 bucks. I mean, you can run millions of lambdas in a month for next to nothing. The the money really comes in when you're running stuff that's 24/7. And that would be that would be services like RDP and and EC2 instances and and etc. But how much how much re-architecture is required in using something like serverless on Lambda? Like that's it depends. That's, it, it, it it it's it's almost impossible to for to give a generic answer to because it depends on what your application is. So I mean, you, I feel like you, for I most applications that I've seen, that'd be <clears throat> considerable. It's almost like you have to design a new application that's made to use it, like taking an existing yeah, and app and it, making it use serverless, right. like that. I, I just right, don't feel if, like that's going to happen. <laughs> if you're not doing that, why did you go to cloud? Right? Like, I mean, there's there's pros and cons to being there. And, you know, 
running, I think, just going to cloud to use it as a virtualization platform is, I, think, I, I don't know, working, I think it's a waste of money. I think working at too many startups has affected your brain, is what this comes down to. <laughs> no. Uh, when, when, you've got, when you've got an enterprise that has, you know, 30 years of compute history, uh, re-architecting, is, no one's got a taste for that. When, when, when they think well, about moving to the cloud, they think about standing up VMs on the cloud like they did in their data center. I've been well, you at, know I've been at more than one company that has done this and turned around six months later and gone, oh my God, we may have made a huge mistake. Yeah, and then what do they do about it? Depends on the company. Statist uh, statistics I've that I've seen, like as as part of my new role, say that they're just going, nope, going back to their data center. <laughs> right. So they so they move to cloud, they lose money, they move back to the data center, they lose money both ways back and forth. They go back to the data center and go back to doing the exact same thing that they've been doing. And yes, a lot of big companies do this and a lot of big companies never, never move forward and they never innovate again because they just, they just become big monoliths to just sit there on the same thing that they've had for years. And then 50 years later, you know, IT specialists come in and go, oh my God, COBOL, APL, um, we don't know this stuff. Time to rip it apart and start over. Yeah. And, you know, look, I, I, one of the one of the companies that that I had worked for previously literally had a guy that they paid. Um, I mean, disturbing sums of money. I, mean, I think it was seven figures a year for him to be on call 24 seven for this company because he was the only he's like one of the only people in the world who knows this code Yeah, because it's written in some obscure language. Well, that's millions of dollars that you're spending on this. Yeah, but, but if you that's, if you spent a little of, and rearchitected it, like that's kind of you an can extreme get down example. To though that's kind of an extreme example, though. It's right? not. The, it's not. It's happening all over. The applications. Yes, that's that legacy stuff is still out there. I mean, we see it all the time. You know that that's so why the there's people that are, is, That's why there are people that are still running mainframes that are like thirty years right. out of support, right? <laughs> APL and COBOL programmers are are a huge need for a lot of things. And you know, and you know why? Because those ancient beasts are still driving revenue and still driving processes. Yes, I they think are. Merck I think Merck eventually got rid of the mainframe, but that mainframe made a fuck ton of money for the company. Yes. So, so paying that guy seven figures for that code, how much code was that? How much revenue was that bringing in every year? I feel more sorry for the for the CIOs who get snowed by slick talk and sales guys who convince them they need to migrate their stuff into the cloud and they lift and shift it because oh, it's it's easy and straightforward, and down the road you can redesign it, and then they end up in these ugly situations. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm not. I'm not advocating that you just lift and shift. There needs to be a plan. You need to have a full blown plan on what you're going to do. Uh, yeah. Exactly. You, you don't lift and shift and go, okay, we're done and walk away. Like, forget it. Cause that's, that's just madness. You should be, think, you should be yeah. looking at, these are the applications that are going to get lifted and shifted that we can't touch that are going to be there longer term. This is the stuff. These are the ones that are going to be projects that we're going to turn into scalable applications that are going to move forward and, and, you know, do what we need for the business. It's, yeah. it has to be, a, there has to be a strategy behind it, not a, you know, cloud is pretty and we should go there. I think that, yeah. I think that and what I you're... was at Merck when that was happening, the, 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 uh, the execs yeah. would like 
they, it was almost like a pissing contest with execs in different companies. They, they'd learn their buddy at Pfizer was was going cloud, so Merck had to. Yeah, yeah, and, I, then, I, she, I, and then you know, you know, BMS would hear that Merck was going cloud, so they had to, and it was it was like right, it was snake oil salesman. Right, but it was it was all a marketing thing because all of a sudden you could turn around and say like we're in the cloud, and for some reason that made you better than the competition. Nobody ever explained it, but now you're in the cloud, so you're better than the competition. It was it's just marketing nonsense. But I've been, I've been in companies where you know I'm the one screaming, going, uh, you know, this is great. Like, what are we doing longer term? Because this is this is dumb. Yeah. And all right, I've guys, we're here. What's next? I know oh, we're done. Right. Yeah. What? What do you right. mean we're done? And I've been in companies <laughs> where I'm looking at. I'm looking at data centers that we have that are like, you know, falling apart because it costs it costs a decent amount of money to keep a data center up and running. Yeah. And, you know, going, we can we can do this. And it's, oh, that we'd have to that would cost money to do that project. Like This thing's going to fall down like it's this this hardware has been out of out of it's been EOL for 10 years and we're still using it. Right. Like, why are we running OS2 warp like that's. <laughs> That's not a thing we should be running in 2000. You <laughs> know, like, come on. Unless you're a car and, dealership, and just, apparently. Or, or a telco. That apparently um, was very but, per- pervasive in car dealerships for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, there's telcos. I think there's telcos that are still running OS2 not, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So, But, but I mean, that's, that's what you have. I mean, telcos are sort of a different beast because you can't really lift and shift a telco because, well, of what it is. But, you know, there there's companies that are, you know. I can't run my telco in the cloud? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, something you're about like, physical like, line mm-hmm. access. Yeah, right, right. Someday. Someday it'll all be IP. Actually, someday it'll all be cellular, which is basically just IP. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So anyway, we've gone on kind of all over the... Around the bush, through the bush, over the bush, kicked the horse a few times. Horse got back up. We killed it a second time and kicked it again. Stupid horse. <laughs> Stupid horse. <laughs> horse never learns. Horse never learns. All right. So um, my last point was how can you perform a lift and shift? But I think we've already kind of touched on that, right? Like there's a couple ways to get that done. You can literally image the thing using the tooling that Amazon supposedly has or your cloud provider supposedly has. The one I saw was from Amazon. Uh, if it works, <laughs> you can redeploy on the cloud, which I don't know. Do you still call it a lift and shift? I guess you do. You're still using the same basic setup. It just isn't uh, a direct clone of what you had. I guess it's more like a backup and restore than a clone, right? Um, and that's kind of it, right? Was there another way to get that done? I don't think there was. Oh, the, the tooling that Mark that you suggested where, you're, where you, you build a, an ISO and redeploy that way. But even still, that's more like a reinstall and redeploy, isn't it? Or was that actually deploying an application as it went? No, it the applic the application is shut down, the server is shut down. You attach the boot ISO, you boot for to the ISO, and then the ISO takes over, makes the makes the skeleton machine in the cloud, creates as many disk volumes as it needs, and then uh, and then copies the data into them. And when you bring it up, the application. Yeah, it's got a different IP address, right? Just kind of comes yeah, we had some cloud. application owners like the IP can't change. Well, sorry, no, it's going to change. It's going to have to. There isn't a choice here. <laughs> yeah, I don't but know. There were theory, there. There's some. There's some. Uh, some folks that ported their own IP space into 
or routed their own IP space into into Amazon or into cloud providers. Yeah, we actually we Merck actually owned an entire uh, Class A subnet, um, and we we traded that to Amazon for credits. <laughs> so not only did Merck like jump into the cloud, but everybody was just like, oh, well, we'll just use the credit. So it was like. It was like a bunch of friggin' teenagers that had daddy's credit card and so no they, concept that a bill was going to come due. So they jumped into the cloud and burned the bridge behind them on the way in, is what you're telling Basically, me, by selling their own IP space I, to Amazon. <laughs> and I was telling people, one day the credits will be gone and we're going to have to pay real money, but no one cared. Like, we got like a bazillion of them, a bazillion Bezos dollars. We're good. <laughs> yeah, not really. Not really. It was it was weird, man. That's that's, that's Bezos coin. Bezos coin is it all? And, the, and yeah, no. All... But one of the Merc, one of the Merc employees that had the foresight real early in the internet game to buy one of the Class A subnets in, in the company's name, and so we we sold it to Amazon in exchange for Amazon credits. It's like stories of like, you know, Bitcoin, you know, I bought a pizza with Bitcoin and had I held on to that Bitcoin today, I would be a gajillionaire. Right, right. <laughs> just well, a, a year ago. Now, yeah, no. you'd, you'd be a bajillionaire <laughs> if you sold it at the right time. Now yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. be you'd be able to get half a pizza. Well, actually, you'd probably <laughs> still be a bajillionaire right now, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Dad Mask is following. That's a great name. It is. Thanks, Bad Dad Mask. And you got Zelda. I know it's Link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's actually now we don't get that's that like, many notifications. I picked those as the notifications that come up because that's like how grandma every time you're playing a video game, regardless of the system, grandma asks, "Stop playing, playing Mario!" Nintendo? Oh yeah, right, Nintendo. It's always Nintendo because that's the one that they plugged in as video game system. Nintendo has to no, be. No, Grandma, I don't I don't even own a Nintendo. It's an Apple II Plus, whatever. Stop right. playing Nintendo on the TV. I want to watch By that, it was a PC or something. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a PlayStation, Grandma. Anyway, this topic didn't go as long as I thought it might. Is there any other thoughts that we can, we can think to cover before we move along? It still was a respectable length, dude. Oh yeah, it's been like forty minutes. I'm not saying it's too short. I'm just saying, like, we've covered just, it covered it pretty well. Are there any other points to talk about? I guess if if I had to give an executive summary about lift and shift, it looks like it's the cheapest and easiest route, and in the end, it's often the worst way to do it. I I still think there's a use case, and that's why I said often, but yeah. it's often the very worst way to do it. Yeah, um, and I I still think. That portability, depending on who you are and what you're doing, and and like how uh, how squirrel focused your your leadership is, um, going all in on a certain provider may may bite you later, right? So oh, it will bite you. Yeah, <laughs> it will. It's, it's not a question of when. It's it's it will. <laughs> not a question of if. It's when, right? Any final thoughts, Jason? Look like you're just brimming with ideas. You're like, I want to argue. No, I. I, I, Remembering all those days where we had those heated discussions on the drive home from work. You're like, yeah, no. And and I was, I was, I was, I was intensely anti, anti cloud and, and, and you were more pro cloud. And and now I think the, uh, I've never been pro cloud. (laughs) Uh, you kind of were. But uh, I, th- I think it's 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 almost reversed now. Um, I'm, and I'm not again. I'm not 
I'm not completely pro cloud, but I mean, you know, look at look at recent the recent year that we've had where getting hardware alone is impossible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I haven't had any problems with cloud resources. No, so to to be fair, I there was a point in my own uh career where I thought the cloud was basically a bunch of uh snake oil that was eventually going to just fizzle away. And then when it didn't when it didn't fizzle away, it was more like, "Oh yeah, but can you trust it?" And then when that kind of I still feel like there's like the the utter paranoid sysadmin in me still thinks that cloud is very perilous from a privacy and security standpoint because it's shared hardware and, and whatnot. And we've seen uh, exploits that that are that allow you to like break out of your VM and attack others that are on the same hypervisor as you. Now those are not very directed attacks, and you know whatever. I know there's lots of the thing is that like cloud. I feel like to be in a cloud provider, it has to come along with all this like legal speak that says. Not necessarily that your data is safe, but that you are legally covered, right? And to me, those aren't the same things. If my data is leaked, it's still leaked. Even if I'm legally covered, the data is still leaked. And to me, that's more like a philosophical thing than a legal thing, right? Obviously, if you're covered legally, then fine, you're covered legally. But it still feels kind of like a cheesy exit. You know what I mean? That's just me. But, I do like cheese, though. I mean, yeah, it depends on the cheese. The sharper cheeses are not really my thing, but, you know, the good oh, creamy cheeses cheese. are good. Anyway, cheese in a good soup. Cheesy soup. Anyway. <laughs> Iron Sissabin, where we talk about beer and cheesy soup. Cheesy beer soup. That's even better. Apparently I've been distracted. Uh, there's, there, yeah, yes, there's, there, are, <laughs> there are definitely cheesy beer soups that are wonderful. <laughs> ah, anyway, uh, I went off on a tangent about cloud there um yeah anyway in today's world the cloud is just a fact right you, you have to deal with it if you're going to be an administrator you're going to have to grapple with it whether you're 100 cloud or 10 cloud or you know whatever um and you may have to deal with many providers there's a lot of folks that pick and choose right like oh google google compute can do this thing this way at this price and AWS can do this other thing this other way at this other price, right? And, you know, because it's cheaper to run this app there and this app there, we just run on both. You know, like, that's a thing. People do that. Sounds like a nightmare to me, but... All right, guys, we are going to go to a break. Uh, remember, we split the show in half now, so if you're listening audio, then be sure to check out Part B to hear, like, usual housekeeping updates and the news when we cover it. Um... If uh, if you're on the live stream, then stick around. We're going to go to a break. Probably not too long a one. And then we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll pick up with the second half of the show. Um, if anybody does tune out, thanks for watching, listening, whatever you're doing. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you in a few. So we'll be right back. 